Welcome to the Voices of LTCI, presented by the Helper Bees. This is a podcast about the industry that's shaping the way millions of older adults are aging, focusing on stories from those who got us here and those who are carrying us forward. These are the Voices of LTCI. Hey everybody, I'm Shar. Uh, I'm the CEO of the Helper Bees, and welcome to another episode of Voices of Long-Term Care Insurance. Uh, here today in Austin with Stephanie Minnick. She is principal and co-lead of the long-term care practice at Oliver Wyman. So thank you for coming in on a very hot day here in Austin. Very hot here. It is nothing like Portland, although apparently right now it is the exact same temperature as Portland. That should scare everybody, I think. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you for being on the episode. I'm particularly excited uh, because we usually have fantastic conversations. We just spent about an hour and a half having a great (laughs) conversation. Hopefully we didn't go through all of our content, but... Uh, I know one question we haven't hit on, and I'm particularly curious, is how did you get your start in long-term care insurance? So I started at Milliman right out of college, and I was adamant that I wanted to be in healthcare consulting because it seemed more dynamic, it seemed more interesting, fluid, challenging. Um, Didn't even know what long-term care was. It wasn't even a blip on my radar. And so I ended up at Milliman under the premise that I was going to be part of their team working on uh, health, uh, healthcare specifically ACA. Um, the right before I started, one of the members of their long-term care team had resigned, and so I was immediately thrown onto the long-term care team. It took me a really long time to understand and have any kind of appreciation for what the heck morbidity was, like lapse, mortality. I got those. Um, I hated it. I thought it was the worst thing ever, and then. Um, I got really lucky. I had a wonderful client that used us for a lot of support across all of their actuarial functions related to their long-term care block. And while a lot of my peers were working on rate increase filings, I was getting the opportunity to help with assumption setting really early on in my career and to actually uh, price and design a product. Um, And I started in 2011. So that was kind of right at the tail end where people were leaving the market. So to have the opportunity to work on pricing and product design at that time for the LTC industry, um, I loved it. And I think that's really what opened my eyes to how interesting and dynamic uh, this this problem of providing insurance to those who are aging, it's so necessary, um, but we don't have a, a solution yet. There's still a lot of problems to solve. And I think that's what keeps it so interesting. You don't really get bored. So I was initially, I was, I hate, I absolutely hated it. I was like, get me out of here. I couldn't, but I'm a convert. I, uh, I don't think I could do anything else now. No, I am too. I mean, it seems like a, it's a weird world. Cause it's like, is it a health product? Kind of maybe, maybe but <laughs> sometimes is it a life product? Mm, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it, there's a lot of intricacies and complexities. Yeah. Do you approach it mostly just from the actuarial lens or I mean, we're fast forwarding a little bit, but like your work with Oliver Wyman, it seems like way I know it is you don't only view it through an actuarial lens like you've got a fairly large scope as how do you see it um tell me a little bit more about that specifically with what some of the work you've recently been doing yeah so I I started an actuarial I got to do um help clients with all all the facets of actuarial work so pricing assumptions financial reporting um modeling I got to do the whole gambit and I think I've more recently had the opportunity to shift some of my focus away from sort of the true actuarial uh, processes and functions to 
um, having insight on things like operations, how are how are claims managed? Um, and I'm not gonna you know do operational work. I'm an actuary, but I think having that purview into how how those who are dealing with claims and processing claims and paying claims and um, how that that works. I think that function, underwriting, I've gotten a little bit of, of time, you know, getting some insights in underwriting. And then most recently, um, I've had the opportunity to work with California to design a public program. And that opened my eyes to a whole different set of issues and strategies around how politics, you know, we can see that this is a need. I think you and I both can can see that and understand that. And I think even the the general population has the understanding that we need to do something to support our our peers as they age, um, but it's a very complex problem. And so when I when I was like, I want to do work with public entities to try to figure out a public uh, public solution that's collaborative, um, I didn't factor in how challenging and how how um, nuanced some of the the political considerations are. Um, it's a lot more challenging than I anticipated, um, rewarding, but also it adds a whole another layer of complexity. So it's been fun to see that strategy and just try to visualize how can public fit in? How can private fit in? Where can wellness vendors fit in? How can we take all of these pieces that have a role and merge them together into something that can, can help solve our problem of, of aging without support? So usually I ask, what's a large milestone event or development in long-term care insurance career, but I'm going to ask that question specifically, though, the public-private partnerships. What are you learning? You mentioned that there's a tremendous amount of complexity, which I can't even imagine, but um, without getting into sort of the output of the work necessarily, but what are you personally learning through it? Is it that it's just complex, or is it something else that you're sort of starting to untangle and, and take away? So I think the complexity is is definitely a lot, uh, a lot more than I initially imagined, but I, I think how personal it is. Um, our meetings are open to the anyone. I mean, anyone really. It doesn't have to be a Californian. It could be they're usually held virtually, so um, it could be anyone across the United States. And we get a lot of people from the public to come and share their personal stories. And I know that it's you know potentially more biased towards individuals who are you know trying to champion a public program. So you certainly are going to hear some you know more. Uh, shocking and just revelationary uh, experiences, but it's just been the personal aspect. I think I I started an actuarial, kind of always been an actuarial, and to humanize what we do, um, I think that's been probably one of the most interesting parts of it. And then just trying to figure out, you know, it's complex as an insurance product, so trying to figure out how do you balance all these pieces when you start bringing in the concept of providing this care to everybody and trying to make sure there's a value proposition. Um, I really like problem solving and I think it it takes that to a whole nother level. So let's, let's pull on a little bit. How do you take that to your team? Because you guys are, I know leaders in, in the wellness space as well at Oliver Wyman, you all have a great survey that I know a lot of people look at. How do you take those numbers which are representative of what the industry as a whole is doing, behind those are millions or at least tens of thousands of lives how does that inform your practice as co-lead? Is it something that, that you and your team talk about I mean, from, from a mission perspective or from an analytics perspective? I'm curious how you operationalize that. Yeah, we spend, I mean, we spend a lot of time 
trying to identify areas where we perceive gaps, um, whether it's gaps in the way in the data that's available, um, whether it's gaps in how, you know, where the, the private sits, where the public sits, just generally gaps in, in services provided. And we spend a lot of time um, conjecturing about what can we do to get ahead of the next problem that's inevitably going to face this industry. Um, I think a lot of that has, like right now you've got the standalone business, you've got combination LTC products that pair with like a life or annuity chassis and it, they're in very different places in the product life cycle. And so, um, you know, looking at what's happening with the traditional standalone long-term care business, what problems are they facing now? How are they powering through that? How are they um, coming up with new and innovative approaches? A lot of that can help inform how these long-term care combination product writers uh, can start to get ahead of, of the things that, that might be down the road for them as their, their policyholders get older. So I think a lot of what we try to do is take the pieces that we learn from all of the different um, aspects of the LTC insurance industry that we're involved in and um, concatenate that into like holistically, how do we help, like how, do, how are we most effective in helping the industry move forward? Well, if we could go more specifically into that, you and I were chatting a little bit about this, but any words of wisdom for, for those embarking on wellness programs or have already embarked on a wellness program who haven't had a third party come in and analyze the program design or analyze the efficacy? I'm a big believer in a third party. Um, as a provider of services, I like that impartiality. We, we tend to push for that. Not everybody advocates for that. Any words of wisdom of sort of A, the pros and cons of the approach, or B, how to sort of dip your toe into it. Let's say you don't, you're a leader of a wellness program within a carrier. You don't have a huge budget and analytics can be quite expensive. And sure, I might be able to do that in-house. Any words of wisdom to them to help how to socialize this up the chain? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's I personally think it's really important to get an independent view because it, it adds a level of credibility uh, to your results, it takes it, it gives some impartiality. Um, I think if you're running a wellness program and you're you have a vested interest in its success, and to get and not to invalidate the measurement and analytics that those who are running wellness programs are doing, I think it's wonderful. But to have another entity, a third party, come in that's independent and look at it from a different perspective with the um, you know holistic industry perspective that they have. It can help you see things that you didn't necessarily see, um, identify patterns that you didn't necessarily think could even exist, uh, and it just adds a level of credibility um, to those results, to that, you know, whatever your measurement metric is, whether it's return on investment, whether it's, um, you know, claim in incidence impact, whether it's utilization. I think it just gives you additional confidence in, in the result. Um, but more than that, I think it's just the collaboration Anytime you bring another entity in, you get a whole nother set of perspectives. And I feel like with wellness especially, we're all learning this together and we're all trying to find ways that we can be more impactful on policyholders and on the bottom line of you know, the claim cost um, expectations. And even if you don't have budget to have an independent party do a full-scale analysis, actuarial work, measurement, you can still have someone come in and take more of a strategic high-level view and maybe they peer review your analysis or maybe they are a sounding board to you, but I just think that additional perspective 
um, when you're learning something new, it can be so valuable to help you see the things you don't see. Yeah, I, mean, I would second that. I think I'm working with carers that we've worked with. I mean, we've, we as a provider of wellness programs have learned a lot from, from, from folks like you guys where you're looking at, again, holistically across the industry, different blocks, different ages, different program design, and bringing all that knowledge in. And then we, as a provider wellness program, are bringing all the policyholder engagement information. Like, how are they interacting with the program? What are they saying? You know, what's the efficacy of the actual intervention, less on the claims cost side? Budding those together and merging them across programs is really wildly fascinating. So we have definitely approached it as not a threat at all. We have, all, we have a large data analytics yeah. team. But we, we complement each other quite well to say, but we're not an actuarial team. We don't, we don't think in that direction. We think as wellness providers. Yeah. I think it's so interesting, too, because with wellness and long-term care, so much of it is behavior-driven. And, I mean, even incidents, there is a behavior component to the choice of using formal services or not using formal services or this care setting or that care setting. And human behavior is not always rational. And so at, actuaries tend to think in, in you know, rational, you know, does this make sense? Yeah. Does it follow the norm? Um, so when you start partnering up non-actuaries with actuaries to look at this problem, I think, especially when there's a behavior element involved, um, you get a better understanding of kind of what, what you don't know. You know, we don't know what we don't know. So helping, it helps to talk to others. Yeah, I want to underline a point you said. You don't have to engage with your team on a full giant, full scale mm -hmm. analytics pre or post program just even strategic experimental design or strategic approach, even mid-flight, I'd imagine, yeah. uh, or even post-program. So I, I just want to make sure folks understood that because we've definitely benefited from, from that approach, yeah. and I think it's really a powerful one. Yeah, establish, establishing measurement frameworks. Uh, you don't have to have the independent party do the measurement, but if you establish a good framework and you do it up front, you set yourself up for success, and it makes your, your life in the future, when you're actually getting the experience coming in, you have a process, you have a framework, um, you probably still are going to have to pivot because, you know, again, unexpected things happen. Yeah. But um, spending the time and getting that additional perspective, independent perspective on how to do the measurement, what to look at, where to look, can be really, really insightful. Right. You hit on something, I don't know if you can expand a little bit on the behavioral dynamics of this. It's interesting because actuarials, to me, you know, mathematics, fairly well defined. Behavior, not at all. You hinted at that. Uh, John Stephen and Rhett Weiland over at Pru are huge proponents of saying, really, the metric that matters with most of your programs is the ability for a policyholder to change behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, that's true for any wellness program out there in, in, in the world, whether it's long-term care insurance or health plans. How are you approaching that from an analytics perspective? Because we've run into challenges there. We define risk triage tiers. We have engagement tiers and everything like that. And there are OK surrogates for that. But have, how have your analytical models changed to adapt to like quantifying that behavior? So I think that's, that's really hard to do just because as an actuary, we tend to think in terms of averages. And when you um, think about behavior, it's the fact that it is somewhat random. There's probably yeah. generally themes. Um, but I think you have to step a little bit aside from the analytics to actually set assumptions or, or design metrics, measurement approaches, measurement um, metrics that can quantify behavior. Because just saying, you know, I had, my incidents went up or down. 
Or I think you and I were talking about, you know, if you have a pre-claim program, you're changing their behavior around going on claim. So the reasons that we see people claim might be different in the future as we change where they're getting help already, where they need help in the future. And so just thinking through not only like the short term, but the longer term effects of what you're doing and how it can change someone's situation um, and therefore change their behavior is really important. And it's hard, again, it's, if you start to talk about actuarial numbers, it's hard to it's hard to quantify behavior because it can be random and we tend to do average. So, so you mentioned something that I think is really important, which is quantifying the long-term effect of these programs. We're in the early days. We're, we're, we're step one, I think, as a, mm -hmm. whole, as a whole industry. Let's say you're a new provider who's doing a pretty niche solution and didn't move instance rates over whatever span of evaluation. It's somewhat heartening to, for me to hear that you said, you know, you can't just rely on averages. What do you do to dive deeper to say extract information like, you know, maybe it didn't move incidence rates over this 12-month period of time because, hey, maybe the, the framework wasn't built mm -hmm. so that you could do that. You were targeting 72-year-olds and, and there's not that ability to move the needle on the bottom line. How have you all approached and how have you counseled carriers or those running programs? It's like, hey, let's think of our broad sense of this. Of like, we're moving in the right direction and here's why. So I think there's a couple ways you could tackle that. Um, but first of all, if you think about your incidence rate and how you're setting your target, um, it's important to look at who is making up that average. So if you are just looking at like the, the highest level metrics, you have to set up your process, your data that you're getting to be able to delve a layer deeper, multiple layers deeper, because if you you could have two completely different populations that have claimed. And on the surface, you maybe could see that the incidence rate is completely unchanged. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the mix of who's on claim, the, the characteristics of who's on claim, you know, maybe it's gender, maybe it is even a layer deeper and it's you know, certain locations, certain, um, like how close are they to family members? Like, you know, are they a certain type of like social interaction, if you can get to a more detailed data on who your policyholders are and who it is that is claiming before versus after implementing your, your wellness initiative, and you see differences there, then I think at least you can start to, to try to quantify and understand if I have X percent more of these you know, characteristics on claim, that might actually mean that in the long term, my incidence is going to go down. That's a great point. So just verifying selfishly as a provider, <laughs> uh, when you do that, when you drop down into a different layer, of course, you're splitting your population smaller and yes. smaller. You lose statistical significance. Yes. But I think what we've been careful, and I'm going to have you fact check me on this, we've been very careful to say we know it's not statistically relevant. The data suggests a particular behavior in this subcategory, when magnified on the whole, is actually pretty significant. Agreed on this program in this slice. But I think given that we're at step one, our whole goal as an industry, I think, needs to build up enough confidence and enough early indicators to say there's enough here that we should go deeper. Yeah, I think that I agree with that. And I think to have that confidence requires a deeper understanding of what is driving claims? Who is claiming? Why are claims the way, like the size that they are, the setting that they are? And if you have a, a really good understanding of your claimant profile, then you 
when you see those anomalies or those, those, you know, this could be a big saving, we just have to give it time. Um, I think that just gives, more, gives you more confidence to make that assertion. Okay, great. All right, well, last question, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put them into two. Um, what areas of innovation or change within the industry are you most um, excited about seeing? And just comment in general, building off of that, like your general feeling for the industry as you hit it in 2011 now, uh, you've been in it for a little while, like give us your general temperature check. I think I'm biased. I love this industry. I, it is incredibly frustrating because it feels like a lot of the time that you're, you're making incremental forward progress and then, you know, either there's a, a curveball or, you know, there's, there's some other environmental change that, you know, you feel like we were all, we were almost making forward progress or we are making forward progress, but there's still so much more. Um, the product still hasn't taken off the, there's still a gap in, in need. And, um, I think, the newer, I'm very optimistic because as you look at the way that wellness programs are being implemented, you look at the spotlight that we have on long-term care, long-term service support needs at the public sector level, and you start to piece all of this together. I'm optimistic that if the public sector gets involved, public-private collaboration can help give this industry momentum to get to a, to touch a wider subset of the population with wellness. I'm optimistic that if you can identify things that will help the policyholders take ownership of their health earlier on in their aging process, that you'll still have long-term care claims, but hopefully those claims will be more manageable and they'll be um, more supportive versus you know someone needing 24-7 care at a, a, a younger age. We can push that out. We can um, get public figure out a way that the public sector can can help support. We can figure out a way that wellness can wrap around as a um, overarching theme in the industry. And I, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Still a lot of problems to solve, but yeah. yeah. I think that's a point that even folks on this podcast who have been unbelievably insightful, we've hit on, but we haven't hit on, I think, this directly, which is the work we're doing within our own blocks or as an industry within the wellness consortium or broadly you know, at our large conferences, I think pretty soon the nation and perhaps even the world is gonna look at what we're building as a model for what programs should we have from a wellness, whether we call it wellness or not, to promote independence at home. Mm -hmm. And we're not far away from that. And so I think there is a big push in my mind to say, let's stay the course, like folks, might not have a slam dunk when it comes to, to, to a program, but we're moving in the right direction. And the important part is gaining, continue to experiment, continue to try, have a really great framework, I think is critical to evaluate programs, but taking a long view on it is gonna be really You have to have a long view. Yeah, yeah, if you have a short view on long-term care, it seems like that's uh, counterintuitive given the name. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, well thank you so much for coming in. I know you're busy. I've really enjoyed the conversation uh, and, and appreciate all of that. I always love talking to you, Shar. Anytime. Thanks.